Hello. So I, before Whoa. we started, Simone, I got some craziness. I got, I have something I need to talk to you about. What? So I was doing some Googling this week and I, I was talking about you to a friend <gasps> uh -oh. and my friend was like, who's Simone DeRoche for? And I started, I'm like, well, here, I'll just show you her work. <gasps> and, and I Googled you and the first like 10 results are like Simone de Rochefort husband, <laughs> Simone de Rochefort boyfriend, and all of this. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I was so filled with fury for you because that's that's not it. And then the top YouTube result for you is like it's this video clip of like Simone doing crazy Simone things. And I watched the video. Yeah. And it is literally Simone overload of like all oh, your weird no. faces and stuff. Okay, well, I'm looking that up right now. First of all, uh, for, <laughs> let me switch off of my work YouTube account before I go Googling myself. <laughs> yes. Good call there. I no, make I'm that like... mistake. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've also made that mistake. I'm like, yeah, it, let's not do that. Is it that way for you too, Christina? That oh, like if you funny. if you Google you, yes. it's just a bunch of like grant or what? Um, what is that? Well, it depends. Um, I, I think right now it is. It varies because sometimes for real it is like Christina Warren husband, Christina Warren boyfriend, or whatever. Like it's right. in the first thing. Well, in my yeah, case, I, obviously it's because people are googling Tobias Menzies, my husband, the popular and famous actor. Um, who appears in Game of Thrones, in the right. wonderful AMC series The Terror, uh, who is currently in New York City right now filming a movie with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So uh, I understand why people are Googling Simone de Roche for a husband. They've clearly forgotten his name. They're just like, oh, let's get a pic of him. Let's see if we can remember who that guy is. Um, and that's just too bad because, you know, I would like for him to have the same name recognition that I do. But I have sure. a really cool name. And, right. you know, I can't control that. It's true. You can't. No, it's obvious. It, it kind of it rolls off the tongue. Like, it's either like a a villain's name, like in a bad French romance novel, or like like I, a hero. I it, It's a good name. I Famously, when I first message. came to work at Polygon, another person there said that it sounds like the name of a Bloodborne villain, um, or Ooh. a boss, rather, which I totally yes. accept. Yes, that's also yes. true. Yes. Um, if I like it, kind of the reason that I'm at Polygon right now is because obviously I got cut from Bloodborne. Um, my level right. was just next. <laughs> so, and like, I was sad about that at the time, but I think it worked out for the best. Cause like, I wouldn't be where I am today on rocket accelerated geek conversation. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Squarespace and trade. I'm Simone de Rochefort supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub, and Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. How you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm feeling a little silly today, to be honest. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, how dare you, yeah. first of all, because our first topic is one of mourning. <laughs> at mourning okay. and sadness. Sorry, I'll did you have another best. goof to make? No, I'll do my best to be serious. <laughs> Apple, after decades, is discontinuing the last living iPod. Mm -hmm. The iPod Touch is going the way of the Nano and the Shuffle and the classic before it. Uh, the iPod first launched in 2001, and it has in so, so, so many ways laid the groundwork for the world that we live in. Uh, it, you know, was the precursor to the iPhone. For a long time, it was one of Apple's best-selling products. And certainly, I think up until the iPhone, the most mainstream of, of Apple's uh, hardware. It primed people to adopt the iPhone when it came out. It familiarized people with the concept of digital purchases and those being okay and safe to make. It made Apple synonymous with music in a way that paved the way for Apple Music, uh, today living on the iPhone. And as Kotaku points out in their great uh, reminiscence on the iPod, it was the iPod Touch in particular that was a precursor to mobile gaming. Uh, it had Fruit Ninja, Words with Friends, Angry Birds, Temple Run, all of the big like first generation of extremely popular mobile games came out on the iPod Touch. And I even remember back in, I, I don't remember what year, might have been like 20. 11 2012 i don't know people who hadn't 
had a who didn't have a smartphone yet, but who were using the iPod touch in the same way that we would later go on to use the iPod or the iPhone Mm -hmm. when it uh, when it reached that level of adoption. Um, So this discontinuation follows the iPod Classic being discontinued in 2014, followed by the Nano and Shuffle in 2017. Uh, and now, of course, the last one, the iPod Touch. I know you both have so many feelings about this, but do you still, do either of you still have an iPod Touch? Uh, yeah. yeah. I have one from, I have one from 2015, but I haven't powered it on uh, probably since 2016. Um, and who knows if, if the battery even works. So I've got <laughs> one from, from back then, but even at the time, and they did release like an update, and in 2019, I think it was, it was, it was like a minor update. Like they they made it an A10 um, chip, which was not even the latest. Then still didn't have you know Touch ID or or, or anything like that. Uh, and that was like kind of a kind of a. I'm not even sure why they did that update. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things where um, they had the various colors, and I think the reason I have one was because Apple sent it to me for a review, I guess, because the the new model had come out. And when I went to send them back all of my review stuff, they were like, we don't need that back. <laughs> so even even Apple was like, we don't, we don't want it back. I was like, okay, cool. So that, I don't even know where it is, but I'm sure that I have one of those laying around someplace, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Brie? Oh my God, I, so I remember my very first iPod, it was a third gen iPod and I got it when I needed a, um, I needed a, uh, a Mac for something I was doing, uh, for work. It was a, it was a network interface thing. I'd never, uh, like, uh, networked, uh, um, like PCs and Macs together before, which was really difficult, you know, back in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was trying to work out, I need like an administration machine. And I worked with someone and uh, came up with a deal. And like a third gen iPod came with this used Mac, which I'd never used before. And I got it. And I swear to God, it was it was a life-changing experience. Uh, just running and having mm-hmm. that much music with you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was just, it was astonishing. So, And then yeah, and the third yeah. gen was a good one because that was the first one that had the 30-pin dock connector. Yep. Um, and... Um, um, that was the first one that by the time it came out, um, iTunes existed for Windows. So right. I had my first one was a second gen, which was it didn't have the click wheel, but it was the same design. It was just kind of a, a scroll wheel rather than than being clicky. But like in terms of physical appearance, it looked the same. It had a FireWire port rather than the 30 pin dot connector. And um, it, um, it but the second gen that the difference was other than like the, the click wheel, it had higher capacity storage, like mine was a 10 gigabyte unit. And it did work with Windows. But at the time, iTunes didn't work on Windows. So it would like ship with this like music <laughs> match jukebox software, which was terrible. Oh, no. And, and you would use this third party app called FPod if you wanted to to load songs on it. And so I, I was not a, a full time Mac user yet, but I got one literally. Um, I was in high school and it was like the day that like they announced them at like a Mac World in Boston or something. It was the summer of 2002. And I remember this so clearly because I remember seeing the announcement and I was like, okay, um, it's come down a tiny bit in price. It has more capacity and it'll work on Windows without having to do some weird stuff um, uh, to it, which is what you had to do before. I'm buying one of these things, even though I, I loved my mini disc, which was my, my MP3 solution before that. I was like, I'm going to get one of these things. And I worked at Best Buy and literally the day they came off the truck – I got one like it was like a Sunday truck and I got one and I was like one of the first people to buy it. And what was so funny was that I I will never forget this because for the first probably six or eight months, um, uh, certainly uh, by the time the third gen, the one you got free, um, they were more popular. But for the first little bit of a period of time, we didn't even have them out on display because people didn't know how to sell them or what to do with them. So they would have them in – like what's called spider uh, wrapping. Uh, it's it's like a, a anti-theft kind of thing, um, you know, where you, you put something around, around the package that makes it difficult for people to open up the box and steal because it's like a $400, you know, gadget. And so we either had it behind glass or in, in spider wrap stuff, um, but we would have these things and they're like, well, we don't know how to sell them. And so I would just stand 
in the section where they were sold at the time, which was where we would sell printer cables and other stuff. And I would just kind of loiter. And I had my iPod that I bought in my pocket (laughs) and I would just show it to people. Oh, and, and I, I would, I would make a bet with people. Like I would genuinely, this is what high school Christina would do. This is what I would do at 18 years old. I would like make a bet with my coworkers and just be like, I'm, I'm going to sell every iPod we have in the next, you know, five hours. <gasps> wow. And, and, and I would. 100%. 100%. Just from like, what were some of the reactions from people when you showed them how to use the iPod? Because I'm, I'm really curious about, because oh, my yeah. memories of that time are so faint. So people were just stunned because, okay, you have to, you have to understand up to that time, you did have MP3 players, but they were different. So you had like the Rio and, and then there was like the Nomad, the creative jukebox had, and yeah, they were terrible. They, they didn't have good displays. Um, they used like double A batteries most of the time. Um, and then they would use uh, flash memory, which was great, except the storage amount was very expensive and you would have to constantly load and reload the card. So for instance, if you got a 64 megabyte, megabyte, not gigabyte, megabyte card, <laughs> that could cost $100. And you would need to then, you know, um, get a reader and and connect it to your computer every time you wanted to update your playlist. And so you've got like an hour of music. So to try to explain to somebody why, okay, you spend $150 on the, the Rio, and then you're going to spend $100 on this flashcard, and then you're going to need batteries for it, and you're going to need some software to manage it. And by the way, it's going to have less you know, music than if you just burned a CD, right? Yeah. Like p- people weren't into that. And Minidisc, which was cheaper, like the discs would cost like like $2 a piece and, and would store, you know, the 74 minutes of music and you could transfer MP3s to them. But so it was more, much more affordable, but people didn't want to, in the United States, uh, people did not want to embrace Minidisc. So when I could show somebody this thing, there was this felt adorable kind of, you know, like, like the size of a pack of playing cards. So I, I keep it in my pocket. Like I said, mm-hmm. you know, you pull it out and you've got this screen and you're able to scroll through and I've got thousands of songs and albums. And I can just select what I want and immediately play it. And also just be like, hey, I can just plug this into my computer and all my CDs, anything I've downloaded off Napster or whatever, it's just here. Um, And that was the thing that when people saw that, like, and again, you have to note, like for the, before the third gen came out, which was like the, the, the biggest one, um, like there was the one that made the mainstream, you had to have a Firewire port on your computer to use it, which most PCs did not have. So I would like have to sell people like a PCI card for their computer if they needed it and whatnot. Or or sometimes like I think I one time sold somebody a brand new computer so they could get an iPod. Yeah. Um like if it was, I could just add on to that. Yeah. Like something that really made a difference, Simone, is you take it for granted now that you can have every song with you all like yeah. all the time. <laughs> the thing yes. about that era and this device is it really it really was about individuality. Like mm-hmm. I can remember sitting in class in college and it would be like a debate like, oh, I've got the best iPod. No, 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 yep. no. I have the best iPod. No, I have the best iPod. And then you'd be showing it. And it really wasn't as possible to just show people new music. No, like it no. was here. It, and that it was. was truly revolutionary. It was. And I would say what what really, I mean, and this was the thing that was controversial about it at the time, and honestly why the, the iTunes store was an important part of the, the story with it, was that you have to understand that when it comes out in 2001, but really it, it gained prominence in 2002 and, and really 2003 when the, when the third gen came out. Um, this is, you know, like 2001, 2002, this is like, we're still in peak Napster, Kazaa, um, you know, like, like Morpheus, like era of, of file sharing. Like Napster had been shut down, but there were these other services. And you're also starting to see broadband internet become more widespread, not everywhere, but but more places. So all of a sudden you have people that for the preceding few years, especially younger people, now have all this music that they've downloaded on their computers. And you have to understand that up until this point, it's not like you could buy it legally. Like the reason that we downloaded it wasn't because we were too cheap. I mean, some people were, <laughs> but it wasn't about that. It was like, if the if the record labels had given us the opportunity to pay a dollar a song, we would have, but they didn't. And so you'd have to buy an entire CD that you didn't even know if you liked it just for the single. Um, and, and then all of a sudden you have the ability to get any song you want throughout history and download it. Mm-hmm. And now you can take this collection that a lot of us, like, like, you know, my generation, like we were burning CDs of MP3s and stuff like that. 
And that became pretty quick. Like, like CD players, like even in cars, got like MP3 support pretty quickly. But to go, like, there's a big difference between saying, okay, I've got a big, you know, like binder full of CDs that I'm having to search through and find the playlist versus, to Bree's point, I have literally every song that exists in, in my mind on this thing that is fitting in my pocket that has a rechargeable battery and that I can go running with, that's solid state, that, you know, like it, it had all these things that I think people like underestimate now just because, of course, it's so commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like when iTunes came out, that was this huge thing too, because then you could legally buy any song you want, you were finally unencumbered from the album process. And, and so that, that was, was, that was that massive. Was huge. I mean, for me, I, I cannot stress this enough. Napster was great because like, no offense to y'all, but like this stuff <laughs> like Taylor Swift is just not my thing. Right. Sure. Like I like, I like EDM. I, I like, like my favorite stuff in that era was you have to understand if you're in Mississippi, it can't exactly go down to the EDM shack yeah. and like get all the rare <laughs> right. records. Right. Store. So no, totally. I, had, I mean, because most of them yeah. were imports, right? Like, 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 because I was into techno and stuff then too. Extremely expensive. And exactly. Like, I remember when uh, 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 Basic Instinct came out. There's a song uh, for one of the dance club scenes called Rave the Rhythm by Channel X. And like, I spent a freaking year trying to find that i eventually had to get it on vinyl from europe and then find a record player that's how hard it was to find music back then so this the ipod really opened it up because it made all that stuff a really social experience right like i remember sitting outside and being able to say okay well i know you think this is dance music this is here's something a little more sophisticated than, you know, a uh, black box, right? Like, right? like, here you go. Here's, here's this. And it was, it was great. And I, I don't think I'm the only one that, you know, this is, we're talking today about the iPod touch going away. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like the iPod touch ever really got the, the cultural cachet of the, the nano in the same way. Yeah. Because yeah. it was yeah. always kind of seen as the, the poor person's iPhone. iPhone. Yeah, but I think that's I fair. I still have it and love it, right? Yeah, I, but but I think to Simone's point, and I think to Kotaku's point, I do think you're right. Like, I do think it was like the poor person's iPhone, and certainly, I had an iPod Touch before I had an iPhone because I did not have the money to buy an iPhone, and I did not want to be on AT and T. And it wasn't until I had more money and I could afford to switch carriers, and um, you know, like like you know, buy like a, it was an iPhone 3GS that was my first iPhone, but I had. Um, the second gen iPod touch that I actually got, like, I think basically the day it came out because that one worked with the app store. So at that point, so I, there was like a year when I didn't have an iPhone, but I, I, I knew people who did, but I didn't have the money for one. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely one of those people. But to Simone's point, I do think that the area where it was massive was for kind of mobile gaming because yes, it's the poor person's iPhone, but for a lot of people, and I think especially probably a lot of younger people, their first experience with an iOS device, I would not be surprised if it was through some sort of version of an iPod Touch. It was definitely, well, I guess it wasn't an iPod Touch for me because I never I never went up to the Touch. I believe I had an iPod Classic and then mm-hmm. I got a Nano. And that was where I stopped until I ended up getting the iPhone. But I definitely remember, it, actually, tell me if this is correct. I feel like I remember having a friend who would text me from her iPod Touch Yes, because yeah. you could do iMessage on it. So start. So start. So once iMessage was released with uh, iOS four, um, you could do iMessage from it, and yes. and that and that honestly, like in a lot of ways, because the iPod Touch was before the the iPad, and and some of those features came out at the same time. So you know the iPad was more expensive, and it was like the mm-hmm. giant phone. Like my mom was one of those people who she had like her razor like dumb phone, and then she used an iPad 3G, like the original one. Like she would use that like a giant iPhone, and then I eventually like, as we discussed on the show, like <laughs> made her get um, an, an iPhone finally. But she um, was one of those people, and so I think that yeah, you're right. Your friends they could text you, they could send you messages, you could run WhatsApp, right? Like there were these things like, you know, if um because 
as long as you had a phone number, you could sign up for with WhatsApp and then you could send people stuff from your iPod touch. Like, yeah. It, it, so I think for a lot of kids, it was probably their entryway. Yeah. Cause I remembered like trying to interact with her in ways that I would with someone else with a phone and she'd be like, Oh, I can't actually do that right now. I'm texting you from my iPod. And I'd be like, Oh, mm-hmm. well, shoot. <laughs> I think something I think is really um, underappreciated here is the story of the iPod touch like not being as successful in some ways is really a story about helicopter parenting and and stay with me on this because when it first came out, it really was a culture of this is for, you know, this is like for children, right? We need something for people that don't need a full cell phone. What we saw though is more and more parents wanted the ability to get in touch with their children even at schools, like you can talk right. to teacher friends and this was a, a much bigger thing and the ability to know where your child was, get in touch with them, even locate them in an emergency. I mean, think about it. since 2008, that's it's, it's truly something we take for granted. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why on the lower end, I think a lot of those kids these days are getting hand-me-down cell phones or their very own cell phone to start with. Yeah, I think you're right. I I will say though, I think that I think the iPod Touch was more successful than than um at least initially than you might give it credit for at least the first few revisions. Then I think it stopped. But I, I and I th- I think this is why. So when it first came out, you know, it was less expensive. It was like two hundred dollars versus you know like four hundred for a phone, and then you got a contract. But at a certain point, you know, the phones and the carriers once the iPod once the iPhone became much more mainstream, you know, you could get these you could buy an iPhone on contract. Um, granted you have to do your monthly fee for the same as you would, you could get an iPod touch and then you'd get the cellular connectivity. So at a certain point, I think it stopped making sense. But I think that for, for probably like through like the second gen, maybe the third gen iPod touch, there was something to be said for the type of person who, whether it was for a kid or whether it was just an individual who, you know, maybe you have a phone that you really like, or maybe you're not in a position, maybe you have a BlackBerry, right? And, and work issues you that, and you're not in a, in a position to get a phone. Or or even if you are a helicopter parent, you're like, I don't know about giving my nine-year-old, you know, like an iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe I'll give them a dumb phone. And so I think that, um, like, I know that like my sister, she's, she's a nanny. And I remember going over to, um, this was a number of years ago with, with the family she used to nanny for. And we were dropping the kids off for something. And this, this mom who looked younger than me, like answers the door. And she has these two like eight year olds who are like head to toe in like, um, like, like Lululemon or something. And then they are like Snapchatting on, um, I think one of them had a phone, but like a bunch of them had like iPod touches and they were like legit, like they were like eight years old and they were like, doing like Snapchat stuff. It was like the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. Also, these were like very, very rich people. So it was like this, I was like, I don't know what universe I'm in right now. But, but you know what I mean? But, but it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I I could understand where if you're below a certain age, you're probably, you know, going to give them the iPod uh, touch. But I do think that at a certain point, just because the price on the iPhone became so much less expensive. And then to your point, Brie, because at a certain point, you know, you have hand-me-down iPhones to have, it didn't make sense anymore to continue to, you know, like sell them or or for people to buy them. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was directed towards Brie. No, no, I'm I'm agreeing. I just uh, yeah. I feel like, you know, uh pour one out. I have the ultimate uh like edge case for loving mine. Um one of the ways I beat insomnia is I put on audiobooks yep. and um I, I use it with the iPod touch. I used to use it with the iPod nano, but those have gotten so expensive on the secondary market that I just can't justify you know spending four or five hundred dollars a year for these to keep them going to to yeah. listen to an audiobook all night. So I switched over to a a nano it's made with modern techniques and they last longer and i don't know if i need to stockpile these now because they're not a good deal the no, 32 gig version well, of 32 it is, gigs and it's an old processor yeah this is the thing it's i was 300 right yeah yeah i i was looking at it, it's 200 for the 32 gig and then it goes up from there and i was looking at this and i even talked to somebody who i was like you know what was like the employee discount like internally it's not anything. Um, and, and so, and I was like looking at, I was like, okay, part of me kind of wants this for the nostalgia. And then another part of me is like, this thing is not going to run 
anything in a matter of years. Like, here's the interesting thing, I think, like, why the old school, like the iPod Classic especially, and, and some of the Nanos, and I have a bunch of Nanos. If I can find an extra Nano, Brie, I will send it to you. Oh, but, please um, do. Yeah. But, like, I think that the reason those have retained their value and have even gone up in value because you can – like, there are all kinds of people who will take an iPod Classic, which which was, like, the successor to the iPod Video, and they will put in a new solid-state hard drive, and sometimes they will even upgrade the screen, and they will flash different firmware on it and, and all kinds of stuff and really just add in new batteries and just really update the heck out of them. But that's because they had really good, like, like digital, like, um, like they had really good DACs in them, right? And so um, I, I think that um, that made sense from an audiophile point of view. And also that idea was like, okay, well, especially if I put alternative firmware on it, I can play almost any file format. And this is going to be a really great kind of offline music player. Um, or, or if you're using Audible, like they have, you know, their, I think they, I think the format still works if, if you want to do something offline or whatever. But if you're talking about an iPod Touch, um, at a certain point, once iOS is no longer updated for those devices, which will be fairly soon, you're not going to be able to access apps at a certain mm. point. You're not going to be able to stream things. Like even Apple Music, like that stuff's going to stop working. So like, okay, you could technically probably sideload things using the built-in music app, but you can't do, you won't be able to maybe do the Audible stuff or do the other things you would want. And so at that point, like, I just I feel I think I feel like the the having wireless, which is honestly what makes it special, is also the thing that probably is going to kill the resale value on it because it's going to also make it like obsolete yeah. much faster. I have a friend who, as of at least a couple of years ago, was still using an iPod Classic, which, by the way, mm-hmm. was just like it was that metal backed one. Yep, that's so yep. nice to hold because so it nice. just feels yeah, so still, solid. I- yeah, I still have one. I, I've been meaning to actually like do a whole like a refurb on it because I have one that that I've um I've like replaced the battery and I've done some other things, mm-hmm. but I've wanted to do a full refurb. Yeah. Because yeah, it's such a nice device. And honestly, like the 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 DAC in it is really good. So I don't I don't blame people who still do that. I definitely like it. Like I still have my nano and I actually turned it on I think earlier this year, I, mean, I was scrolling through looking at my playlists, which also <laughs> having that iPod was the first time I made music playlists. Uh, yes, very right? cool. Yeah, but, totally. Like, and that that thing also still works, but I do wish I still had the classic. Um, hey, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell just about anything. Your products, services, and even the content that you create. Squarespace has you covered. With Squarespace, you can get deep in those SEO tools. You can use the suite of integrated features and useful guides to help maximize your prominence among search results. You can also stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on a beautiful journey to becoming your loyal customers. Just start with an email template and customize that thing by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and your logo, which of course will be all over your beautiful Squarespace website. Plus, they've got built-in analytics for that that measure the impact of every send. You can also sell your products in an online store. Whether those products are physical or digital, Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. Uh, I deeply enjoy using Squarespace. Uh, it's always been a fun platform to like just build websites on and experiment with, uh, and I'm super happy with it. Head to squarespace.com slash rocket for a free trial with no credit card required and when you're ready to launch use the offer code rocket to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or a domain that is squarespace.com slash rocket and when you decide to sign up use the offer code rocket to get 10 percent off your first purchase and show your support for rocket our podcast Thank you so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Ah, another day. I actually yeah? have an ethical question about that because I have to buy a website tomorrow and set it up for a project I'm working on. Use the so offer I've, code. I always, I struggle with that. I'm like, because I know the algorithm helps them know that like our show is working, yep. but then I feel like I'm cheating the nope. algorithm. Is no, you ethical? should do it because then you can talk about it. In the- you can talk you, you can talk about it. You can save money. And also you do know about it because of Rocket. Yeah, you yeah, heard yeah, about it. I guess so. I guess so. Our very show 
by me telling you about it every week. You should trust me, Brianna. I will trust you this time. All right. Uh, what if I told you to buy some Bitcoin? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, 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 what year are you telling us? Because if you tell us in like 2011, like it's 2011. Yes. You okay, well, are then, yeah, wearing uh, trousers. What, what were people wearing in 2000? I don't know. Why don't I remember any of the years I was alive? The point is cryptocurrency is crashing very, very hard right now all across the board. Bitcoin, she's down. Ethereum, down. All the other ones, down. As of Monday, interestingly enough, the only one that was not down was Terra Luna. But then... As of today, Wednesday, like a mere 24 hours later, uh, the crash came for Terra Luna. And according to Gizmodo, Luna plummeted from a price of $54.36 early on Monday to $3.71. That's a big drop. Also, this was hilarious because when uh, Matt Novak, who wrote um, the, the story, he'd written a previous story earlier on Monday about if you'd invested um, like $100 in Bitcoin in November of 2021, how much it would be worth now. And he mentioned, he was like, well, the only like bigger, you know, coin of, of, of any kind of size or whatever that's gone up since then has been Terra. And uh, within like 24 hours, 36 hours of, of that being the case, to be like, oh, well, that one's actually made money in six months. It had like, everybody, I, everybody had I'm literally left. so glad because like, as I was reading through these stories, I was like, wow, they're all down except Terra Luna. And then I got to the next story and I was like, and that one's down too. Okay. <laughs> like, glad I did that. Uh, yeah. On Monday, it was up like, for, if you had spent $100 on it six months ago, you would have had $119, which like is not, that's not bad. It's, it's not 20%. Yeah. It's That's fine. actually quite good. But right? now, now it's very much the opposite of that. Anyway, um, so all of the coins, like even even the coins that we think of as the, you know, the biggest in the space, that being Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, are they are way, way, way down. Uh, in response to that, also Coinbase, Coinbase's value is down. Uh, that company mm-hmm. trading platform went public. Uh, recently, uh, their stock is now trading 85% below their high price uh, in November. According to CNN, 48% of Coinbase's transaction revenue revenue comes from Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So I, because of this, everything is just kind of just slumping across the board. Uh, in their latest quarterly earnings filing with the SEC, Coinbase like made some comments about like, how in the event of bankruptcy, those assets like customers would not be able to access their crypto assets, which also freaked everyone out, although they're saying, hey, we're not in danger of going bankrupt. This is just a thing we have to say. I don't know enough about their finances to know anything about that. Uh, Famously, they did spend a lot of money on a Super Bowl ad that was just a bouncing QR code. And also they spent a lot of money on Matt Damon. Uh, but mm-hmm. the point is, no, I, think, I think that was crypto.com, actually. Oh, that was crypto.com. Shoot. Oh, mm-hmm. crypto.com did Matt Damon. It's all uh, confusing. Um, this is a very chaotic moment. And given the general chaos of Bitcoin in both directions, I honestly don't know what to think about it because nothing about any of crypto's highs or any of its lows feels real or permanent, mm-hmm. or indicative of anything to me. <laughs> what do y'all yeah. think about this? I mean, I would... Well, first of all, okay, this is mean, okay? okay. This is mean. Hit I me. just want to note how quickly the the, the crypto coin like, community went from like, lol, good luck being poor, to, hey, it's not good to make fun of people when hard luck falls on them Uh, (laughs) so i just i just want to note that disconnect here what happened Um, what i i don't know um yeah something i think is happening and you know maybe this is too cynical of me but i do think that one of the um one of the the side effects of like uh you know this this week the uh, the fed announced they were going to raise interest rates mm-hmm. we do know for a fact that there are people that have been borrowing uh bitcoin against uh against the money that they've uh, basically borrowed 
right? Um, and one thing that happens when your asset falls beneath a, a certain value, you have to sell that asset mm. immediately to cover your losses. And then so it's like, okay, Bitcoin falls to this place, then it falls and people have to sell it to, to do the margin call and then it's lower and then it's lower. <laughs> and yeah, the, the truth of this is, look, if the stock market is, I mean, if the Bitcoin market is lower, where did all that money go? It went because people decided to sell earlier than you did yep. and they cashed out to get real money. Myself being one of them, right. I made a lot of money by doing that. And, um, you know, I, I'm sorry if you lost money on it, but this is a wow. really, really, really volatile asset. Profiteering, you know? Brianna. <laughs> Profiteering on others' Guilty. pain. Guilty. Guilty. Unbelievable. I mean, the thing, the thing I would add to that, because because you're exactly right. Like, it, it's it's a volatile asset. I will say now, obviously, if you got in like in the last six months or or even in the last year, like you're not doing, it's not great, right? But especially the last six months. But if we still look at like what the price of Ethereum and what Bitcoin is, and you compare it to you know um, 2020 or or 2019, like it is still so much higher. So there are there are people I'm sure like if you bought like I remember I'm still mad at myself for this because there was a point when. Bitcoin was like at five or six grand. And I really did think I was like, I should go ahead and buy in and and just make it kind of a long-term like hedge. Like obviously buy what I'd be willing to risk and whatnot. But like, okay, granted, it would not be great if you you bought in at five grand and, and it was at 60 something and now it's at 30. That's not awesome. But you're still talking about like you know, like a six X increase. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I feel like that that's the only thing I want to know. Now, a lot of these, like, um, uh, you're going to have to bleep me here. A lot of these coins, um, that's different, right? Like, like, like Doge and some of that stuff. Like, I think that that's different, but I think that for like your, the hardcore ones like Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, I think that we've, we've had these drops before. This is dropping. What's interesting about this is to your point, Bree, is that usually what's happened is that you've had one of the asset classes drop and not the other. So you've had stocks or you've had uh, crypto. In this case, you have both. And I think that actually that's, a, I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's probably uh, exactly what happened in some cases is that people had, you know, like leverage, maybe some of their stocks or other things, you know, um, with, with their Bitcoin holdings and then were forced to, to sell and liquidate mm -hmm. um, and, and make good on things. Like that actually makes complete sense. But um, especially if you're talking about maybe like major, like people who are hedging major, major bets on uncertain um, assets or, or whatever. Um, and I, I'm, we're not a financial show and I'm certainly not going to advise anybody to, to get involved in crypto unless you're willing to just know that this is like, it has to be funny. Like it can't be, you know, like it's because it's completely irrational, but it is still up. Like if you were to like look at like a five-year graph of, of where it was versus now, it would still, the five-year graph would still be significantly higher. It is still up, but I think it also kind of points to something that we've talked about on this show before, which is that even when you have a resource that's theoretically supposed to be decentralized, like what you said with the S coins, as it were, these sort of currencies that are created as jokes are not the ones that are going to potentially survive right. this sort of oh, shift absolutely. in the industry. It's centralizing around Bitcoin, around Ethereum, of maybe even around Terra Luna. Who knows what will happen? Well, well, no, you're right. Um, but Bin is also centralizing. I mean, this is why Coinbase is in an interesting yeah. situation because they have, and we've talked about this many times, that kind of the, like, the great thing for them, but also the bad thing for them is that they have essentially become the centralized repository for a decentralized cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. right? So like Binance is the big one internationally. And then, and then you know, in the United States and in some other places where Binance isn't really allowed to operate, you have um, Coinbase. Um, but because of that, like, you know, uh, Coinbase like is making the disclosures that they have to make saying, okay, look, if we go bankrupt and your assets are still being held with us, like we're not FDIC insured, we're not a bank. Yeah. So we we don't owe you anything. That's an important thing for people to know. I mean, I would say like, if you have significant crypto holdings, I will say this, you should not be having them. And, and this, this this goes, this this is true regard, like completely separate from this situation. If you have significant crypto holdings, they do not in any way, shape or form need to be tied into any sort of um like, um, place like like coinbase or, or anything else like you need to have them offloaded a non into cold storage. wallet 
yeah, you need to have it like exactly like like they, they can't be on an exchange. It needs to be like in cold storage, like on like a separate wallet that you have that is not connected to the Internet um, because other because if you've got it in an exchange, the exchange, again, it's not a bank. You're not insured. If it gets hacked or if something else happens, they they don't care and they're not responsible. Like in some cases, if there's a hack, some exchanges will refund people because Maybe they're they're nice and or maybe they're they're fearing you know like someone mm-hmm. killing them or something like I I don't know <laughs> but like Coinbase like because it's a legit like legal company they are not going to do yeah. that so and that's maybe only as feasible that's only feasible as long as the company the wallet company is in good shape. Well, that, if you if you, if you had like because the walls are open source, so it could be a thing where you could print out the address, like mm. the address is on the blockchain. So if you've got the address and you've got all of your stuff stored in that regard, then you could have it like literally stored in a bank vault. That's what people call cold storage. So so yeah, there there's a way to have a completely offline wallet where you could have like if if I had significant crypto holdings, I would not have it in anything. Oh, I just mean like the in the the hack scenario, like if if yes. Coinbase is hacked and all of your crypto is stolen and Coinbase is in a bad financial position itself. Right. You're probably then not going to. Like, we've seen anything. them do refunds, like good faith refunds before, but that wouldn't happen if the company itself collapses. 100%. If they're hacked and they don't have the capital to, to make refunds or do anything, again, yeah, like, they're not a bank. Like, yeah. that's, that's that's the thing. Like every, people treat them like a bank and they get some of the same advantages of banks, but they're not banks. Like, it's it's sort of like PayPal. PayPal operates an awful lot like a bank. PayPal is not a bank, mm-hmm. which, is, which is another reason why you should in my opinion, like never hold large amounts of money in PayPal, cash that out immediately because oh, yeah. they are not a yeah. bank. Yeah. 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 I strongly yeah. agree with that. I say just, uh, you know, not to, not to be like, Ooh, balance, but I do just want to note that, you know, tech stocks as a entire mm-hmm. market have really, really taken a beating in the <sighs> oh, last terrible. few weeks. So, you know, I think there's a there's a charitable way to see this that is, you know, this is about the tech sector overall. I personally have faith that the tech sector is going to come back. I think this is a, a correction as we kind of, um, I think there was a bit of a, a fever with the pandemic about people thinking about, you know, working from home and working in all kinds of technologies relevant to that. And it kind of um, basically getting out proportion to what the reality of that is going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think a correction was going to happen. I've every I I personally this is not an investment show, but I personally <laughs> feel that that's going to come back. There is an argument that that could apply to Bitcoin as well. Um, but you know, the bottom line here is I think is accurate, measured, and fair to say cryptocurrency and NFTs are substantially more volatile than the rest of the market. One hundred percent. And um, you know. I, I, even though we're not an investment show, I will strongly advise you, don't bet everything in any nope. one asset, no matter what it is, especially if it's cryptocurrency. Yeah, That's absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and this this actually, this literally just got published as we were talking, like this was published just a couple of minutes ago as we're recording this, but there's a great thing. Um, I'm just kind of browsing through it right now. The New York Times published called Bitcoin is increasingly acting like just another tech stock. And huh. that's, that's by, uh, by David Yaffe Bellany. And just from what I can see and just like how they're comparing it, they're they're saying that unlike gold, um, it, it acts a lot more like a tech stock and they're showing the graphs about like how it follows the NASDAQ average, which I think is a great point. And and, and to your point, Bree, is probably why I have a feeling that this correction has happened. What was interesting here, you'd made like this illusion, like usually the crypto bros are always like laughing at people when stocks go down. They're like, oh yeah, well, well look, look at me, I'm so rich. And now it's like, Oh no, my stuff is like way, way down too. It's actually down more than even like the the you know tech stock averages. Yeah, the rocket rule of don't look at your four hundred one k remains. Gospel. Don't look at your four hundred one k. Don't look at your Robinhood. Don't look at your Coinbase. Like honestly, just don't look at anything. Do like, not perceive. Shut your eyes. Do not <laughs> shut your eyes. That way, when that way, hopefully in a few months when things recover, you'll be nicely surprised to be like, oh, that that's awesome, and you won't be thinking about like the, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and, you know, ungained, uh, unrealized value that, that you've lost. Have I talked to y'all about the 1929 stock market crash? (laughs) Yes, all the time. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Trade. (laughs) Trade is a wonderful coffee delivery service that I am personally 
still enjoying. Uh, so basically it works. You you can subscribe and set your order frequency. And per your demands, a bag of coffee will appear at your home. Is that bag ground or is it whole beans? You decide. It's all up to you. My favorite coffee so far that I have received from them uh, is the Black Velvet Blend from Atomic Roasters. That's a Salem, Massachusetts-based roaster, I know, because the trade website tells me so. And also, they sent me a little, like, uh, cardboard, you know, informative paper with all of my orders. It is silky smooth and dark as night. This blend features a hint of spice and a nutty sweetness that'll pair beautifully with a splash of your favorite milk, but is just as delicious on its own, says, again, the website that I'm staring at right now and going, I miss you, but I'm mm. excited to continue tra- tasting new blends. Um, I'm enjoying it so much more than I expected because like I've been on the same coffee for years and years and years that I buy from like my local bodega. But I have really, really been enjoying kind of pushing my boundaries and experimenting with uh, different roasts uh, from all over the country. Uh, it is unexpectedly fun for me. When you become a trade coffee customer, you can enjoy knowing you've got the freshest and best tasting coffee you've ever made at home. And the coffee you'll be drinking will be from the country's best independent craft roasters, which helps those small businesses out a lot too. And guess what? Trade's coffee team actually tastes tests thousands of coffees which is going to be my new job i quit i'm done (laughs) they keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day everyone has like that one coffee that they just love mine is black velvet from atomic roasters and trade will help you find it trade is so incredibly confident that they'll match you right the first time and if they don't just give them your feedback and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send a brand new bag for free so you know you'll be looked after. Uh, Trade Coffee also, they send you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters. Those are small businesses who pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. They've currently delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash rocket. That is more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started (gasps) by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash rocket and let Trade find a coffee that you'll love. That URL one more time is drinktrade.com slash rocket for $30 off. Uh, This is, again, a service that, like, they offered me a free, like, test drive of and that I have continued to pay for with my money (laughs) Uh, because I really do enjoy it. Our thanks to Trade for their support of this show and Relay FM. In the 1929 stock market crash, (laughs) one of the reasons that everything went so, so wrong was because technology at the time was like we didn't have instantaneous communication like we do today. So what happened right. was things were just crashing in New York City and somebody would walk into their local stock office in Des Moines, Iowa, which I think is a real town. I and think so. They, Maybe. Probably. Is Iowa a real place? I don't know, actually. I've never been. Um, and they would look at the numbers that were being uh, printed on the ticker and they would say, well, oh, my God, like that's incredibly down. What's happening? And then they would hear... That's the number. Those are the numbers from five hours ago because we don't have the latest numbers because they literally cannot put them in fast enough to mm-hmm. like telegraph them from New York City to Iowa. And so what ha- that's part of why the panic happened is people were like actively watching these numbers and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, everything is falling down around me. And I don't even know what's happening now because this is what was happening like this morning. And it just made people it made people, you know, sell irrationally and make these irrational moves because they were afraid uh, because of, in that case, their lack of knowledge. I think we have maybe an overabundance of knowledge. <laughs> um, and our, so that's why I recommend not looking at things because <laughs> it causes you to make decisions when sometimes the best thing you can do is nothing at all. And that's not related at all to our dessert of the day, which is the new Marvel movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which 
if I ask listeners to guess which of our three hosts had seen this movie, I bet you would say Brianna and Christina have seen it. But for once, I've seen the movie. <laughs> um, and so has Brianna. Unfortunately, Christina has not. But that's okay. We can still that's have okay. a good conversation. I've been spoiled. It, it, you guys can talk about it all, all, all you want. Um, yeah, I was with my family last week, so I was not able to get to totally the Totally valid. Totally so fair. So I will, I will see it whenever I see it. But please talk on about it. Should we try to do a spoiler-free discussion? Uh, <laughs> I I I say we do spoiler free, except for generally talking about Wanda's arc. That's yes. the only thing that I want to talk about. So if you don't want to know anything about Wanda Maximoff, like Tune, we'll, like we'll give you a time code. Or, well, let me let me preface this for yeah. listeners first. You yeah. will learn something within the first twenty minutes of the movie. Yes, and that thing will be what we're about to talk about right now. Um. Yeah. Okay. So this is the latest Doctor Strange movie. It follows heavily off of, I would say, the first Doctor Strange movie, as well as the Disney Plus show WandaVision, as you alluded to, Brie. Uh, she is a character in the film, a prominent character in the film. Um, and it is directed by Sam Raimi and also introduces America Chavez as a character uh, who has uh, been, quote unquote, Ms. America, although she doesn't go by Ms. America, I think she usually just goes by America Chavez in the comics for a few years now. Um, and is played by the actress who played Dawn on The Babysitter's Club, a show that Netflix canceled too soon. Aw, it was a great show. Uh, initial impressions of the movie... I think it rocked. <laughs> yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I like horror movies. Well, actually, let me back up a bit. Um, I, I come, I came at the Doctor Strange franchise like as someone who read a lot of comic books growing up, and Doctor Strange just flat out was not my favorite. Like, it's a, to be honest, it's a universe that doesn't have a lot of women characters in it, really. Like, it's about all this mystical stuff, mm -hmm. and to me, it was just never as interesting as, like, say, the X-Men, which is pretty much a direct allegory for, you know, gay rights. So, I just, I never really clicked with it, but it's my, Doctor Strange is my far Frank's favorite superhero. Like, he really loves him because all of the, the weird monsters <laughs> and stuff that he's fighting, like, that's Frank's group. It just is. Nice. So, um, I, I saw the first one, and I'm like, okay, this is really, really, really good. Like, I understand why Frank loves this so much. I actually think the first Doctor Strange movie is, like, one of the very best Marvel movies. To me, this one really doubles down on all that esotericness of it in the same way. And it's this, it's not really, like, a, a great story like uh, do you know what I mean like flowing and giving mm -hmm. the narrative but it's a wonderful experience of stunning visuals and interesting shots and cool metaphors and great character moments that kind of creates a movie do, I, do you agree with that I or? totally agree because of the specific yeah. perspective that I'm coming at it from which is <laughs> as a person who saw neither the first Doctor Strange nor WandaVision Oh my god. Yeah. Um and I oh I truly I know. Um the two pieces of media that you'd need to like understand everything that's going on in this okay, movie. Okay, okay, but you need to watch WandaVision. I'm like I I'm know. only I'm only, I'm only pa half paying attention no but no but I'm I'm like actually telling you this this isn't like something you can ignore like I don't Zelda. have Disney Plus. <laughs> Okay, I will give you my login because it is actually, like, you don't understand how completely your sh this show is. I do right. understand because I've read all about it and everyone has told me about it. I appreciate your concern. We're working on it. <laughs> I will take your login, though. Um, okay. All right. You're welcome. But yes, believe me. I know. Um, but that See, being said. Christina, taking care of me. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm not an ungrateful teen. Um. <laughs> With just the, you know, the spoilers that I had read online about WandaVision, because I'm spoiled for everything. I truly enjoyed this based purely, as you said, Brie, like plot wise, it has sort of a, a veneer of a plot, like it moves through the beats as it's supposed to. But it this is purely like bonkers Sam Raimi visuals and just some of some of the coolest visual sequences that I've seen in a Marvel movie in ages, some that I am still thinking about where I'm just like, Gosh, 
I'd like to sit down and watch that again just because I want to experience seeing that cool thing that happened. Like he's really good. Like the the music works really well with the visuals. And because of the multiverse concept, they get to do some kind of bonkers, uh, very vivid, interesting story moves that I don't think they necessarily get to do in your run-of-the-mill Marvel film. And I I'm I I think I I understand the complaint that I think some people have, which is that, well, it's it's just another universe. So ultimately, none of these things matter. But I I don't agree because I think that this having a multiverse concept where like you can go into another multiverse and all the characters you love can potentially anything could happen to them. Um, I think it's cool. I think it echoes the way that comics have been for a long time where you, you can just reset them. And or you could go to another universe, one of five million universes and explore an interesting story without affecting sort of that larger continuity, because there are new rules in every universe you go to. And I just I really enjoyed that freedom, especially because I think I don't keep up with the the larger MCU continuity just because I don't care <laughs> so i enjoyed <laughs> the freedom fair, of it and so i enjoyed much the visuals of it at this point you can't follow it so i yeah. understand that <laughs> yeah i just found, i found it really freeing i found it really creative um and i liked that sam raimi got to be a weird little guy yeah yeah um no i think that's that's absolutely dead on yeah i can see this movie being your jam i want to talk about wanda all because... right so we are going into the spoiler part of the conversation semi semi spoiler semi spoiler like you said first 20 minutes spoiler but okay so if you watch the trailers of this you have really the wrong impression of this film uh the trailers sort of build this up to make you think that like uh a strange is fighting shuma gorath alongside wanda um, that is not the case at all. <laughs> this is essentially a Terminator movie where Wanda is full T-1000 and is hunting the frack out of everyone, America Chavez especially, across all time and space and is going Dark Phoenix. And I freaking loved it. This was really divisive with a lot of people because after WandaVision, um, you know, a lot of people felt like Wanda had her redemption you know she hurt a lot of people over the course of that series right and here she kind of uh she has the dark hold and she snaps back into like being evil again i actually really like this um you know for me what i want to see especially with women characters in in films is i don't need them to be all good or all bad i need them to be really emotionally nuanced mm-hmm. and i love that wanda is a character that she's really hard to pigeonhole like what are her ethics what does she want where does she draw the line how is she dealing with trauma and grief and she's doing it in ways that are that that get people killed, but you're also pulling for her the entire time. It's a really, uh, it's a performance with a lot of depth. And I think because of that, like she's, she's really one of my favorite characters in the entire Marvel universe. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things, Oh, A, speaking of the performance, Elizabeth Olsen does an amazing job. She's so good. She can be so emotive and also so creepy and so terrifying. Um, B, I think what's interesting about this is it it gives us a chance to see Wanda Scarlet Witch, who has some of the weirdest and most just she could literally do anything, any bonkers thing you could think <laughs> of. And so and I, I don't think we've really gotten a chance to see her fully do that against heroes in a Marvel movie before, because in Ultron, they don't they mostly just do like shooting beams of light from what i remember where she before she you know joins the avengers where she is briefly a like b-tier villain in that movie you don't get to see her doing anything like that bends the (laughs) probability which is i guess what you know what she's theoretically supposed to be doing um and this movie really just gets to go balls to the wall nuts with her powers in fascinating ways against you know marvel's a-list of heroes Um, so I think it's a lot more interesting for that. And it's just, it's just fun to watch. And I think I, for me, 
as a sort of sporadic Marvel viewer, I'm interested in everything you said, Brie. And, and for that reason, I'm not so much interested in like a continuity between WandaVision and Doctor Strange where like, ah, she is she's been our hero and now she will stay our hero. Like I'm I'm interested in whatever that particular piece of media can bring me. And if it makes, you know, emotional sense following off of WandaVision, that's fine. But I'm not totally I, I, I don't need those emotional arcs to be totally consistent, I guess, between those media, just because I think they need to be different things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed her arc in this a lot. So I'm really curious about this. So there's also been a lot of discussion, and we're back to the non-spoiler part of parts of this. But um, there's been a lot of discussion about um, this being a horror movie, right? It comes from a famous horror director, Evil Dead. Uh, you know, um, uh, and for me, watching this, I was really surprised about. That. I mean, you have a couple of shots in fighting a monster that I guess are kind of a little gross. And you have a couple of, of, of characters that die, not in really bloody ways, but it's certainly violent ways. But you have people talking about this like it's the fracking Saw movie, right? <laughs> and it's just, it's not. But I see every single horror movie, so I was really curious what your impression was of that. I think it just shows how much our the way we portray and interpret violence has changed since the 1980s because when i think back to like some indiana jones films from that time or even like some of i guess the nudity of the goonies which you know like at at that time i think (sighs) violence in movies i'm not saying this was better but it was definitely weirder And so this, to me, it definitely feels more violent than your typical Marvel movie. But that's because in your typical Marvel movie, all people are doing is like throwing heavy objects and or firing lasers with like some minor, minor like bruising. (laughs) Like there, there, there's not there's no real impact. There is only the appearance of it. And this shows impact in a way that I don't think is gory. Um, but is certainly evocative. And I think that's what, you know, Raimi is bringing to the table as a director. Um, So like compared to the other Marvel movies, yes, it is violent because I think you can imagine much more vividly what is happening. But I don't think it's, I I, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. I I think it's definitely paying homage to horror movies. Um, Like, yeah, in certain sequences, which I, since we're done with the spoiler discussion, I won't describe in detail, but like it, it, it's evoking them. It's evoking them, but I don't think it is of them. Well, I loved it and I'm glad to see you did too. Um, I won't like chide you to watch WandaVision, but I, I agree with Christina. It's very much when I think about things I think you would enjoy, I think you would enjoy WandaVision quite a bit. Well, yes, someday, someday I will see that witch. Someday. Being me on camera. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Christina, what are you up to this week? Um, So I am back from Atlanta. And so uh, getting back in the studio, doing another episode of The Download um, and just uh, just kind of chilling, right? Like I'm just kind of, yeah, that's basically it. I think we're going to do Twitter spaces on Friday talking about like some emerging tech stuff, but nothing, uh, nothing, nothing massive, honestly. Just, uh, you know, like watching my my bank account disappear <laughs> don't look at your 401ks the don't look at do it. not look do not look at any of it so yeah that, that's basically what i'm doing brianna what about you uh i have something more serious to talk about uh for what i'm doing this week Ooh. so in addition to uh both my full-time job and my uh the huge funders that i'm putting on for uh for for um basically to combat these uh, trans bills in scotus I'm working on another side project. A really good friend of mine, Derek Powell, who is a uh, producer at Top Gear, uh, his mother lives in Phoenix, and his mother is 80, and she suffers from Alzheimer's, and she uh, just left the house last week. Mm. Um, Has been missing ever since. Um, He's obviously frantic and trying to find her. And what's actually happened is Derek put a bunch of his friends together, myself included, 
uh, to basically recruit volunteers and pressure law enforcement and do a whole bunch of stuff to 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 help find her. Um, and not to brag, but we've been massively successful. We've put together 300 local volunteers who have been like hiking in 100 degree weather trying Jeez. to find her. Uh, I got off the phone with uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema's office today uh, talking with them about, you know, basically pressuring law enforcement to step up their efforts, uh, you know, local news, uh, just all of that. Like we've really gotten the whole city um involved in this effort and um you know this this is really life and death mm-hmm. i think about my aunt pat who also suffered from alzheimer's and it was it was really painful seeing uh somebody i really loved just not become themselves mm-hmm. um so uh if you live in phoenix we would sure love to have your help with this um you can reach out to me on twitter um, and I will definitely point you that way. But um, this is a really serious effort, and uh, I really hope we find her. Yeah, that's scary stuff. Uh, good on you for doing that. Whatever I'm doing feels pretty inane. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I, I saw this on Twitter. I, I didn't. I don't know Derek, and so I didn't know that you were friends with him, but I was trying to obviously just, like, raise, you know, like, give signal boost to things. But thank you for, for like, working to help get her found, and hopefully we'll have, you know, news and hopefully good news yeah. Um, soon. Thank you for doing it's that. It's been a it's been a full time job to be yeah. honest with you. Well, I'll just say because I'm genuinely not doing anything. So check out Brianna's Twitter and Brianna. <laughs> where can you find that? Uh, where can you find my Twitter? Yeah. Uh, you can log on to uh, Facebook and look for uh, just look for Derek Powell, and you'll see all the Facebook pages about finding his mother. It's very very easy. Um, or just uh, follow me on Twitter, which is Brianna Wu. All right, and Christina, what about you? Yeah, again, this all seems like just really like just superficial. Oh, uh no, 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 no. I, I know no. you don't mean it like that. I'm just saying like follow Brianna and like help help Derek and and if you're in the Phoenix area, volunteer. But yeah, but otherwise you can find me at a film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And you can uh, see my videos for work at youtube.com slash GitHub. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. If you liked our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We super duper appreciate it. And go ahead and tell a friend about it. If you want to spark some conversation about the 1929 stock market crash <laughs> or Dr. Strange or WandaVision. Or WandaVision, yeah. yeah. The, the part where Christina told me to watch WandaVision and play that for your friends who haven't watched WandaVision. <laughs> uh-huh. It'll work. I promise. Uh, thanks everyone for listening this episode of Rocket is terminated 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 terminated